Why would anyone play GURPS? And isn't it just like stupidly complicated? And oh my goodness, how do you even get started? If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Help me, Roleplay Rescue. You're my only hope. My name is Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and you might have heard of me from a little podcast called Keep Off the Borderlands. But what you might not know is that I've been roleplay rescued. Less than a year ago, I was lurking around in the shadows of this hobby like some cyberspace golem. But listening to Roleplay Rescue has turned me around and led me out of the cave. I've gone from occasionally rolling up characters alone in a darkened room under a blanket in just my underpants through to learning more about what's possible with roleplay and even on to creating my own podcast and getting me out there buying rule sets and supplements and watching those pounds just fall away. Culminating in actually getting to play online with the man himself, Mr. Che Webster. Che has even got me to a point where I'm wondering if I should give GURPS a try. Now imagine that. All thanks to Mr. Che Webster and his incredible Roleplay Rescue program. It got me where I needed to be, and it can do the same for you. Don't be a naysayer be a player, and maybe even referee. <laughs> Hello, rescuers. Did you like that? That was Spencer 3 for all from Keep Off the Borderlands with what has got to be the most in-joke testimonial I have heard and probably one of the best call-ins I've ever had. Thanks, man. That was awesome. Welcome to Roleplay Rescue. Today is a longer episode. I managed to get an interview and I'm not holding back on sharing this. I think it's a really great interview and I really enjoyed doing it. This all comes off the back of me playing this very evening when this episode goes out, me playing dungeon fantasy role-playing game online on Fantasy Grounds with some of the guys, some of the listeners from the show and also some of my friends who play online. And getting back to online gaming, getting back to running a game, I'm using Dungeon Fantasy RPG. And having a conversation with the gentleman that I'm interviewing now led to us having this chat about why we play GURPS, what makes it a great game, and why Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is a really cool way in. Before we go there, 
Just got a couple of call-ins that I want to share. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to let them stand and then I'm diving straight into the episode. Mostly because I just really want to get it to the good stuff and not make this episode any longer than it needs to be. So without any further ado, here are the call-ins. This is Season 5, Episode 2, Talking Herbs. Hi, Che. My name's Shannon, and I go by uh, The Angry Monk on various forums. I just wanted to thank you for your podcast. I've really enjoyed the first season. Uh, although I do play in a couple games, I, I want to let you know that your topics have sort of made me think about my own uh, GMing style and you know, sort of what I want to accomplish with uh, the groups I'm involved in, and even really my own opinion of uh, BX and 5E, it, it, it's just been wonderful. So I want to thank you for that, and uh, I hope the podcast continues on for a long time. So thank you very much, and uh, all the best. Game on. Hi, Jay Spencer here. Excellent start to season five. Um, the Infinite Game, that took me right back to when I first became interested in the hobby and it was all very much about exploring living worlds, you know. Um, and I distinctly recall every time I'd come home from my friend's house, having spent a few hours exploring Middle Earth, uh, my mum would ask me, did you win? And I'd get very upset and say, mother, it's not about that. <laughs> but um, I think the sort of the my current interest in short term play, uh, one shots and stuff is much more about, well, my, what my lifestyle will allow, really, and what's possible. It's very much part of a, a compromise, I suppose. Douglas H. Cole has been role-playing since 1981, starting with the Holmes Basic Box and AD&D, and has been playing GURP since 1988. Living near Minneapolis, Doug is known as a long-time GURPS playtester, as a regular contributor to Pyramid Magazine, and as the author of GURPS Martial Arts Technical Grappling. He's an R&D manager for a major hard disk drive company and also the mastermind of Gaming Ballistic, his own company. Creator of Hall of Judgment, the first licensed third-party content for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, and also the Dragon Heresy role-playing game based on the 5th edition SRD, Doug is a rising star in the hobby community. And his most recent projects include Five Perilous Adventures for the Fantasy Trip and the Nordland Sagas for the Dungeon Fantasy RPG. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's very good to be back. I wanted to ask you, really, why GURPS? What makes it a good game? You know, there's the standard stuff. I have always liked it because of the anything, anywhere, right? I like it. You know, the, the thing about GURPS is it's universal. Um, yeah. And so once you understand uh, the core concept, roll 3d6 under your skill, uh, and maybe there's a defense or it's countered or whatever, but really it's 3d6 roll low um, against a target number. Once you have that basic concept down, yep. um, you can play any game that you want or more 
I won't say more importantly, but it's, it, you know, if you want to blend magic and guns, it, it's all on the same scale. And if you want to play sentient blueberry muffins for some godforsaken reason, then you can do that. You can design a character that does anything that you want. Uh, I, you know, I will say that the farther you get away from the human relatable core, uh, sometimes the more you have to work at it to, to make it sensible. The, the mm. sentient blueberry muffins uh, uh, joke is, is common because, yes, you can design that character, but it's probably stupid. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things where you can sort of do, do anything, and, and sometimes it feels a little more uh, flexible or accessible to, to mix and match. You know, like, you know, Dungeons & Dragons is a great game, and later editions... Uh, can actually be scaled to and, and blended to different uh, genres. But the thing that D&D does best is D&D. Um, yeah. It was designed for a very specific purpose, and it can be extended beyond that purpose. But like, if you put 5e as it's written with no mods into a firearms world, things can get a little weird. And it, not mechanically necessarily, but how you explain certain things things and the closer you get to grit realism or large damage totals or whatever you know the more that it it, it can strain around the edges um now i've mm. played modern DD games and had fun uh, so it can be done uh but dragon heresy was actually an attempt to solve what i used to call or still call the hit point problem uh with with DD when it comes to firearms um mm. because you know, a, a hit roll in in a lot of these game in, in the D and D type game is not necessarily I swing a sword or shoot you with a whatever and make contact. There's stress and endurance and this and that. But guns are a little bit all or nothing, right? You know, you either get hit with a bullet and you're seriously bad or or you're not. Um, and so Dragon Heresy was I don't want to get too far into it because we're talking about curbs, but it was every now and then you have to do some gymnastics or contortion to make the mechanics blend well with the story you're trying to tell. And GURPS comes out the other way, where a lot of the things that are represented um, abstractly with hit points are made concrete with defense roles or, or other things uh, where the, the object is to avoid the damage or the incoming attack, and you have things that you can do actively to, to, to do that. Some people like that. Some people don't. I like the ability because I still remember a second edition game where I was doing something and then the game master said, okay, the bandit pops up. He moves 30 feet. He hits you with the sword. You're dead. I'm like, but, yeah. but, 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 um, and, and with GURPS, at least you get the chance to say, oh, I parry or I defend or I do whatever. There's a, uh, an action reaction that is more, can be more satisfying, um, from from that perspective but why girls you know you can do any any character it's mostly what you can do there is you can say oh, well i'm going to do this that and the other thing and by and large you can you can figure out a way on the fly to make that happen once you're a little bit familiar with the rules um and the rules you know girls gets a little bit of flack for complicated that's not really true it's very extensible and people assume that all that extensibility is mandatory 
when it's not. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say about that because I, I mean, having made the switch recently, I get a lot of commentary from people on you know this is well, it's a complicated game. You know, why are you playing that? That's incredibly difficult. Um, and and as you just said, it's extensibility, right? It's not necessarily complexity. Um, what do you mean by extensibility, though? So the right ultimately you could get by and, and I played a, a great convention game at, at Game Hulk Con, uh, which is an entirely different story in itself, because right, I show up, I'm a licensee. I've just written and published Hall of Judgment. I had to print copies in hand and I sit down at somebody else's table uh, and we're going to play what seemed about like a 50 point, which is pretty low, but a really low point Roman Legion game. Yeah. And so on my sheet, I had the four attributes, you know, strength, dexterity, uh, health, and IQ, maybe three or four skills at fairly low levels, and one or two advantages or disadvantages that gave my character flavor. And that was it. And we had a great two, three, four-hour session. And, you know, we had to play cannily because we weren't rolling against skill levels where we could absorb 50 million different options. And that's the thing is that you can do whatever you want in GURPS. It's usually just a penalty to skill. Oh, you want to swing your sword twice? Fine. That's minus six to each attack. You want to stick somebody in the face? That's minus five to an attack. So everything in GURPS is really about adjusting target numbers. And almost everything in my wall of bookshelf is an extended treatise on what to do with the target numbers. That's all. So if you were to, for example, come up with something that said something that was like pretty easy, no penalty, kind of easy, minus two, pretty hard, minus five, damn near impossible, minus 10, and only use that, you would not need to reach for a single freaking book because in the core of it, that's what all of that rule is telling you is how to adjust the the skill level that the person is rolling against. And, you know, so I wrote a 50 ish page book on grappling, which (laughs) I, I I, I, thankfully they let me sort of, they sort of let me write it again. Right. I, I later on came up with an eight page version of the 50 page book called fantastic dungeon grappling. Um, and if you get the box set reprint instead of the regular box set, then you have that, that book. Um, but I really looked through it and I said, I can distill all of this blah, 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 because the book was terribly organized and terribly overwritten and that's on me. Uh, but it was my first book ever. <laughs> so I give myself a little, a, a little, little slack, but not too much, but I was able to rewrite it in eight pages because it's all really the same concept. You have three or four different kinds of actions. And they involve the dice in slightly different ways. One's an attack roll. One's something called a quick contest. And a quick contest is both of you roll your skill and whoever makes it by more or fails it by less wins. Yeah. Right? So it's a relative thing. Um, If the two skills are equal, you can just forget the skills and roll the dice. And whoever gets the lowest roll, because it's a roll low wins, uh, succeeds uh, or, or overachieves against what you're doing. So there's really just a couple of things that make up the core GURPS, what are you doing? Um, and once you understand those things, there's nothing you can't do. Uh, and more importantly, there's nothing you can't do on the fly. The thing where GURPS, I think, really gets it right is that ultimately there are very, very few 
special cases. Oh, if you're going to cast this spell, the usual rules don't apply. Do this instead. That is a very common feature of power-ups and, and benefits and fancy spells in other game systems. That rarely, I won't say never, because there's always something. Um, and actually, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, on the monster side of things, breaks rules purposefully for to relieve game master burden right uh, and we can get to that later um but uh not too much later but later anyways but once you understand the basic few things that you do with GURPS that's just how it works and you can say oh this thing that you want to do would be best represented by an attack role or a quick contest or a resistance role or, or just a uh, an opposed effect role, effectively a damage role or a reaction role. That's the other other big kind of role in, in, in GURPS, which is uh, it's actually kind of funny. It's 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 three d six roll high instead of three d six roll low, where higher is better. Um, but but honestly, it would be very easy to invert that and get rid of that as a type of role because why is it different? It's probably different because they decided in 1980 or whatever to make it different. Um, and it's just kept, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. And honestly, uh, technical grappling, my grappling book, uh, which has led to like four different publications for me on, on the subject of grappling, um, in, in games was really saying that people treat grappling as a special case of combat where they probably shouldn't, right. If you're going to roll one D 20, plus a bonus against an armor class and then roll damage for a sword, you should probably 1d20 against some sort of, uh, plus a bonus against some sort of grappling armor class and then do damage. And, and the damage has mechanical effect. And in GURPS, it's a regular attack and GURPS already does that. And a regular defense and GURPS already does that. And the only thing that I had to do is say, make a damage roll based on your strength instead of, oh, and now you're at minus four to dexterity. Uh, which is the penalty for being grappled in, in GURPS. It's more like a condition uh, in D&D. Yeah. And basically saying, look, you know, let's do the same thing. We're going to do it on the same kind of die roll, same kind of damage scale as is represented uh, uh, for weapons. Um, and that allows us to do things like I grab the guy in the head and I pull him onto my knife. Well, that's extra, you know, you can, you can use that grab in lots of ways. You can use it to say, since I have him, I can stab him in a particular location more easily. I can slam him onto the blade for more damage, whatever, right? And it allows you to talk in a currency that is common throughout the game. So, it, you know, it seemed, oh, my God, you're adding eight pages or 50 pages. It must be very complicated. It's really not. It, it's really the same basic principle applied over and over again, uh, and most of the rules are really just giving guidelines for penalties that make sense so you don't have to make them up on the fly. Hmm. I mean, have you found that? I mean, you've been looking through the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, and you look through the abilities, and really it's a lot of it. Oh, these are the kinds of things that this particular skill is used for. Here are some examples with penalties oh this is no penalty oh this is really hard so it's minus eight or whatever uh and then this is what happens on a success or failure right it's just guidelines 
but yeah it's pretty straightforward yeah. i find you know i think the the thing about it what seems intimidating i think when you first crack open like a gerps rule book i'm thinking a moment right of, of gerps basic set sure yeah is you've got what have you got like 600 pages across yeah it's five books, or 600 pages around. between the two yeah you know, and you and you look at it and you kind of think, right, okay, well, I've got, um, I don't know how many pages it is, possibly 50, 60 pages of advantages, whatever it is. And I've got you no know, skills um, and I've got, there's a magic bit in there, but that's abbreviated, but there's a load of spells. And my God, you know, is that really how complicated it is? What you're looking at, um, it looks, it's an encyclopedia, I guess. It's kind of a reference book, a textbook. And you're looking at that and you're thinking, well, how do I get into it? And of right. course, what you really need to do is turn to the front of the book and read the three pages at the start that kind of say, this is basically how this runs. But you also, I think, personally, I think you have to understand that it's a toolkit. And I think that's the thing that was a barrier to me for a very long while, you know, was, was realizing that. I think that's exactly right. The the uh, I'm trying to decide how controversial I should be, but it's a, to- it's a podcast, so I'm going to be controversial. If I were to somehow uh, seize control of, of GURPS uh, and, and release a fifth edition, um, what I would probably do in my go-to-market strategy, and maybe this would kill the game and maybe it would be awesome, is I would still have the toolkit available for people who wanted to use it, but the products that you would buy would look a lot more like the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, maybe even less so, meaning smaller uh, kits. Uh, yeah. where to play a particular genre, you are going to go buy either a set of books in a slipcase or, or a box set like the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game um, that has done some of the work for you. Uh, I don't need a semi-automatic squad assault weapon if I'm playing hack and slash fantasy. So, so that's gone. I don't need extensive rules for different technology levels and what Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game does is said we're playing in technology level olden times, which is kind of a generic somewhere between the Iron Age and the Renaissance. And we're taking the coolest things from all of those and assuming that they coexist. Um, yeah. and, and right, and so by by making some of those decisions in the most popular way for you. Um, it makes the barrier to entry for a new player, new game master, lower. Uh, mm. For a new player, uh, it embraces the current Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Uh, embraces the template system, which is totally not race and class. We swear. No, of course it's race and class. Um, <laughs> you know, it's guidelines um, for what a typical elf uh, playing a typical scout. Uh, would have and you make choices uh, based on that Uh, what i would do in a in a notional fifth edition with these products uh uh is to embrace 100 percent um there there are two articles that sean punch wrote uh dr crom the line editor uh, in pyramid magazine one is called pointless looting and slaying uh Mm -hmm. and the other is called five easy pieces both of those are approaches to character generation that instead of saying, oh, you're going to spend 250 points, which you can conceivably, you never do, but you could conceivably be sitting there forced to make 250 individual one-point decisions Mm -hmm. to generate a character. And that's where people are just 
flip the table or walk away and say, oh my God, this is so complicated. I don't want to do all of this because the activation energy to get to the table is high. Um, The templates help by saying, take this stat package, take these basic required skills, advantages, disadvantages, and then make these choices and and you can have a, a character that, that is very flavored. Um, but you're still into the, oh, here's, you know, equipment. So, but the, what Pointless Looting and Slaying does is it breaks down your choices into 25 or 10-point clumps. So you might have a major ability or a minor ability, and then you have a foible, or, a, or, or I think it is called foibles, which is basically the equivalent of a disadvantage package, but the way that they're described is more like aspects in fate. Right. Um, and so you take a couple of those and that lets you take more of these package deals things. Um, you know, combat master might be a weapon skill and, and certain advantages that would usually come along together. Uh, yeah. And you buy these packages and it makes it say, oh, I'll be a combat master. And maybe that's like higher dexterity, combat reflexes. And something else, and it's a it's a double package. It would be the equivalent of fifty points if you built it yourself, right? Yeah. Plus one to dex, uh, combat reflexes, uh, maybe uh, a couple of perks that let you do cool things with your armor and weapons or whatever. But it gives you a set of abilities, but you only make one choice. I want to be a combat master, and then you take like you know, super lethal archer guy, and then boom, you're Robin Hood. Two choices, and, and so that's where you can get to that place once you've got some pretty good system mastery. You can make that document. Um, and Sean did in the Pointless Living Slaying book uh, article. That's kind of how I would make t- take the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game concept and make it even more approachable. Um, yeah. But for what it is, as a streamlined entry, uh, the VFRPG box set is really quite good. I mean, I enjoy the hell out of it. And more importantly... As an author, I like writing for it because it's such a self-contained piece that I don't have to make an assumption as to, oh, well, what if the what if they brought in psionics to this or whatever, right? This is what's yeah. in the set, and as long as I uh, address these rules played that way, I can write whatever I want, and that's the real genius of these box sets is it it constrains your choices in beneficial ways it seems like GURPS has been on a bit of a journey I look at um, when I think back to 2004 was it yep. when uh, fourth edition came out and I look now I kind of look at um, I saw the dungeon fantasy um, you know stuff which I'm playing with my mates on a Friday um, what we talk about here is the supplements you know uh, the very, I think it's twenty of them now. The various dungeon fantasy supplements that kind of like emulate that, and also make fun of that kind of classic kind of style of game. And then along with that came kind of monster hunters and action and other two hundred and fifty point ish power level kind of game, you know, things. Um, and then we got to like the dungeon fantasy role playing yes. game, and it, it looks to me like the GURPS has kind of come on this journey to to what is it towards accessibility. Um, marketability i'm not sure well you know in in uh someone actually recently asked me on twitter you know about the role-playing game renaissance which i think you know 
you can ask what it is, and I think it's the, the accelerating uh, uh, assimil assimilation and popularity of nerd culture into pop culture, Stranger Things, D&D 5, the two combining together, etc. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings probably was a big, I mean, you know, it was a, you know, Marvel Comics, right? These, these things where at least when I was 10 or 12 or 13 were, you know, you got stuffed in with a locker for liking these, and now everybody likes them. And they're billion-dollar franchises, <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, wow, this is really cool. You know, this guy is doing this crazy stuff, and... You know, I like Iron Man. I like Captain America. That's America's ass, whatever. Um, the uh, All of that stuff became more interesting to more people. And so there's more money flowing in that way. Um, and if groups stayed as a 2004 or a 1980 release, it's going to continue to be niche. And and it's, you know, the, the, the mass that is fifth edition it is hard to... Mm work around right it, it, it's mm. it, it's the largest networking effect it's got a giant market share um something like eight out of ten games on most of the platforms that you see are D D in one way or another um yep. and and i would be comfortable in saying that somewhere between seven and nine out of every ten dollars spent is on pathfinder fifth edition uh osr uh, and similar race class D and D type games. It's it's just that mm. big, um, and so you know, GURPS with a history as long as it has, uh, and Steve Jackson Games with a history as long as it's one of the two or three or four companies that still exists and in its original form. Right, mm. TSR is gone. Right, it's Wizards of the Coast, which is bought by Hasbro. So there's several steps removed there. Paizo didn't exist, yeah. right? Um, back when D and D. So I mean, a lot of these things are are oh, we tried, we failed, the company died, but somebody else picked it up. Um, but Steve Jackson Games has done its thing for a long time as Steve Jackson Games, and there's a couple others that I always forget, um, just because I'm not deeply into it. Who who persisted as well, but most of them didn't have the longevity and of course steve jackson games is longevity to the munchkin right let's let's put that yeah. right out there it's, it's the card game that pays it <laughs> but that was true of hasbro as well right when i interviewed steve jackson a while ago uh he's like well if a meteor lands on wizards please let it land on the role-playing game and not magic the gathering because magic the gathering keeps the stores open yeah. so that we can have the 50 million dollar market that is $40 million of D&D &D, um, that is the tabletop role-playing game, right? Because if you look at role-playing games, you're look, probably looking at 50 or $60 million worldwide total market share. Yeah. If you look at board games, you add a zero or two to that. Uh, and then, of course, video games, you add another zero or two to that. So the whole world <laughs> is really competing for a relatively speaking very small amount of money. And that's where getting that mind share, getting that ease of entry uh, is so important. And that's where, for example, the fantasy trip, the very first role-playing game that Steve worked on when he was with metagaming, or maybe not the very mm -hmm. first, but one of the big ones, and it's got a good following that's lasted, even though the game went out of print for 30 years. Uh, TFT had a, a twice as large Kickstarter as, uh, as the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Did. I think a lot of that is nostalgia in that, these are people who love the game and were totally denied anything like it 
for the better part of three or four decades. But the character sheet is a three by five. card. You write down a couple of numbers, you write down a couple of skills and let's go. Right. Uh, the D six star Wars role-playing game was that way. Uh, I don't know if you played it yeah. back when it was uh, popular in the, in the nineties. Um, yeah, but it was one of the most, it's one of the most <laughs> fun genre accommodating roll and shout, you know, you feel like star Wars when you're playing that game. Uh, and, mm. and the fantasy trip is what it is. Uh, and the, in the labyrinth, a role-playing game extension of it is what it is, but it makes no bones about being is what it is. You sit down, you have a couple of numbers, you play the game and it's designed to be lethal and don't get too attached to your character. Uh, and the tables can turn on you at any moment. And, and, the minute you start to introduce complexity to the game, uh, uh, someone stands up and smacks you with a ruler and sit, you sit down and you just keep playing it because that's not what it's for. It's not designed to be layers of rules and subparagraphs and whatever. It's supposed to be light, fast, fun. Um, you know, and the yeah. GURPS was an evolution from that. Uh, first, you know, man-to-man and then GURPS. Um, but... You know, in order to get it, if you're going to have people spend their money when there are so many things just sitting on your cell phone to get your attention, you need to have it instantly accessible uh, and, and consistently engaging. And that's where I think the genre treatments like Monster Hunters, After the End, etc., um, are so important. So what's Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game doing? Do you think that um, you know, kind of GURPS basic didn't quite? The first thing that it really did was it said, "Here's all the things." We're, so we, we've used this example before, and but GURPS is a subtractive game. You have the toolkit, you have all the supplements, and the first thing you do, notionally, is go through all of these things and say, "Oh, GURPS robots, I don't need that. GURPS covert ops, I don't need that. Cyberpunk, no. Space, no." SWAT, nope. Ogre, nope. Myth, eh, maybe. Y2K, nope. World War II, <laughs> definitely not. Especially, I'm just reading my shelf, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you just say, nope, 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 nope. It's a very Boolean kind of thing. And then you get into the books that you've said yes to and say, what parts of what are, are you going to do? Well, Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, uh, Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, Sean, the line editor, did that for you. Uh, and then even more, he said, what are the tropes? What are the parts of this genre that we want to emulate? And he built templates, races, uh, professional templates that help you do that. that they made choices as to magic spells. And, and it doesn't look like much, but he went through and took some of the more egregiously game-breaking <laughs> uh, spells from, from the original GURPS Magic book and either revised them or threw them out, right? Um, teleportation can be a highly disruptive event. It shortcuts plots, so it's not there, right? It's only there yeah. if the game master puts it there as a gate or something, as a plot device. Um, and so yeah. there are things like that that the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game did. Uh, you know, there are certain, like, <clears throat> the original collision rules. If you're trying to knock somebody over, if you have a, a horse running into a person, uh, you had to do some basic math. It wasn't hard. It was, you know, you take your movement, you take hit points, you multiply them together, you divide by something, whatever. And, and 
you toss that away because really what you want to do is you want to do the same kind of thing that you see when you're swinging a weapon. It's strength-based, and you just do this and add this or whatever. It's you know, strength plus four, whatever. Um, and so there were some changes to the rules to, to make them a little more sensible and a little more approachable uh, quickly in, in play. And, and that's what the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game did. Um, it also reorganized things a little bit so that everything you need to build a character is in one book, the Adventurer's Book. Uh, everything you need to run the game is in a the Exploits book. Uh, ex- exploits is 112 pages. Right, so it, it's yeah. it's a much more uh, you know the the characters book is 128 pages, um, and it includes a lot of the gear, right? Things that you you'd want to buy and, and you know, your swords and your bows and all that stuff. So it's when I play at conventions, I can hand out the adventures book or multiple copies of the adventures book, and that's in the spells book, for example. I play with exploits and monsters in front of me, and probably my adventure material. Um, yeah. And the characters, the players, have characters and spells. And mostly they don't need to look at them. But if they do, it's it's digestible. And, and that's really mm-hmm. what the Dungeons Fantasy role-playing game did. The other thing that the DFRPG did uh, is, I mean, it's a beautiful box. I don't know if you, if you have it or you've seen it. But it's yeah. I have two copies. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I bought I bought uh, I got five right because I've got uh, a retail pack here for my next convention. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful box. It's really good production values, and the art is much better than uh, historically GURPS has uh, uh, done. Um, and it's you know, it's it's full color, and it's uh, the if you're into binding, the the book binding is quite good. It's sewn down, it's sewn, and so it's going to last. Um, yeah. And you know, it's it's sized to fit on a retail shelf, the standard ten by ten retail box. So. Um, you know, that doesn't matter for most people, but it very much matters to people who want to put it on store shelves. Um, it's also got a delicious, um, you know, sort of size of book, which I think feels good for the table, you know, yes. um, <clears throat> I don't know what the term for it is, but you know, that, that almost square book, I absolutely think is brilliant to have in front of you. Yeah, no. And, and, and the, the whole point of that one was to make it, uh, uh, fit in that eight by 10 retail box. Um, but it's, mm. it's, sorry, in the, I think it's a, uh, 10 by 10 retail box. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an eight by 10 format instead of the standard U S letter eight and a half by 11, or even the, uh, the A4, uh, European size. Um, I, I want to make a book in A4 one day. It, it's a very interesting, I have a shadows of Esterin is a, is an A4 format book. Uh, and, and yeah. it's, and it's a neat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, I like it a lot. It's very, it's got beautiful layout and production values, but it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, that's a digression. But uh, but yeah, so it, it 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 does. It shows up, and it, it's a it's a it doesn't make you feel like you're doing something on the cheap, right? right. So the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game is engaging visually. Um, it's tactically satisfying because it's it's production values are good. Um, and, and the rules are cut up into the sections as people are going to use them at the table. And I cannot tell you how valuable that can be. Um, Mm. the classic player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, monster manual, splat book format is useful because it tell, it gives each contributor to the game what they need 
If you're a player, you need yeah. the player's handbook. If you're running the game, you probably need the player's handbook and the game master's guide. Um, although fifth edition does that a little weird because you really don't need the DMG to play the game. Everything that you need is really in the, uh, in the basic uh, player's handbook. Um, DMG is just extras that the game master might want to think about. Yeah. They just need the monster manual. <laughs> they need the monster manual, right? And 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 the the way to to, to have all those rules is, is really in the in the uh, the players the players handbook, which is really like the basic set, right? The DMG is almost a set yeah. of optional essays. Um, you know, I've I've obviously I've run Dragon Heresy and and, and uh, uh, done some players handbook and I very rarely crack the DMG. I really only do it for uh, reference. Yeah. And and it's a lot like a lot of the GURPS flat books. Oh, if you want to do this particular thing, here's some advice. You know, if you want to run this kind of game, here's an interesting way to do it, right? Uh, sort of options and, and extras that most people will not need in any given game. Um, but yeah, so the DFR, yeah. the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, um, it was a really interesting, cool approach to, to the... Uh, you know, hack and slash fantasy, if you want to call it that, but it's to the basic, uh, basic uh, high fantasy role playing. Um, but it owes its it owes its approach as much to some of the old classic computer games, right? It, it, it's not the feel of it is not necessarily GURPS D and D. That, that's you can play it that way, and some people do. Um, but it, it's you know NetHack and Rogue and, and some of those Diablo and it, had, it owes as much to the computer games uh, that came uh, before it uh, as it does mm-hmm. to uh, the you know 1970 something or 1980 something you know old school Dungeons and Dragons feel. So there there are things that that uh, um, that it does and the way that it approaches things and sometimes it takes a little bit of a tongue in cheek. Uh, approach, you know, it's not Adventure Conqueror King, where Alex Macris started his world building with an economic system and made a logical, self-consistent fantasy role-playing game where the economics made sense because that was what he did. That was his thing, and he did all the research and built that up. Um, and uh, and actually. Amusingly enough, I used that economic system to build the world of Aterra slash uh, Norlands. Um, so all of those numbers that Alex did research on, uh, I cross-checked with some, some experts um, in farming and agriculture and, and stuff like that. Uh, and they hold up. They hold up great. Um, but it made for a very satisfying basis, you know, when you can mm-hmm. say, oh, if you want to be a, a Jarl, um, you know, a, a relatively high-level noble, you're going to need to pay the king – uh, like 12 million GURPS dollars per year. Uh, if you want to be a high lord, which is you know, sort of the equivalent of a duke, the highest level of ability, your duty is 70 million per year. You know, yeah. So it really puts in the, in, into, into perspective the kind of money that's flowing around when you're at that level and the resources that these guys command. Um, the important part about that is that it feels right. You walk into a village and it's maybe... Uh, commanded by a Riddar, the lowest level, and that's this is someone who's probably bringing in between quarter million and half. He's paying out a quarter million dollars every year. Uh, when I say dollars, you know, it's probably 250 pounds of silver or the equivalent in goods and services, um, which probably means he's bringing in 750 pounds of silver uh, a year in, in total revenue. But the thing is, 
if there's a road that needs to be built, if, if there's a fire that burns down, the Jarl is expected to build it himself, right? Yeah. Oh, you had a disaster. It's my role as your noble leader to take care of that because that's why I'm the noble leader. Um, so there's, there's a more tangible impact right of, of what they do in, in these kind of in this kind of society I, i've digressed a little bit but the whole point of that is that the unfinished role-playing game takes that foundation and says who cares bottomless pits of gold can flow out of the dungeon and these towns are just you know it's like the order of the stick comic you know oh we have adventurers coming quick put up the increased price by a hundred percent you know a thousand percent signs um <laughs> But it, it just basically says, yeah, we're not going to pay any attention to that. We're doing the, the only thing that you do in town is heal and buy stuff uh, and adventures out there somewhere. Um, that's actually one of the things I instantly yeah. first subverted in the Nordland setting is there are places that are considered town, but not all towns are town, right? Capital T town right. where you sleep safe and buy and sell your stuff. Town can be an exciting adventuring location and I like that. So the Citadel at Nordvorn, my, my second book in the Nordland, you know, it was, it's Hall of Judgment was really about an adventure. And it also happened to yeah. include a town to act as capital T town. Nordvorn was several towns that are strung together as adventuring locations, plus one town called Longbridge, uh, Longbrew, um, which is designed to be capital T town, sort of a home base for adventuring. Um, yeah. but by allowing more interesting things to happen in town, but also having some cool adventuring locations, uh, it, it makes for a great game that you can improv through and have interesting thing happens both in and out of town. Um, but you know, the FRPG is really about, let's not overthink what's going on here. We're going to gear up, mm -hmm. go into the wilds, find a, a cavern or a tower somewhere, go in there, kill things and take their stuff. And that will not disrupt or alter the economy in any way. It's infinitely able to absorb all of that. Oh, we brought back 10 million gold yeah. pieces. No problem. That's not going to cause anything weird to happen. The prices don't spike up in a gold rush kind of manner. Uh, and it's all fine. Don't worry. Look over there. Don't pay attention behind the curtain. So Dungeon Fantasy role-playing <laughs> game is not designed... You can play it that way. That's the thing. It's modular. You can do whatever you want. But it's not really designed to have the game master or the players worry about that kind of thing. What it does have is a 250 point sort of default level of power, which, I mean, for me, when I first looked at it, I kind of went, whoa, you know, oh my goodness, that's right. that's a lot of points. You know, if you look at the GURPS basic set, I think, um, you know, 150. A good adventurer, one fifty, yep. yeah. Um, and I, my tastes go to way lower. I mean, I've just been playing some games at about seventy-five points, and my 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 home game is at one twenty-five. Um, I was curious as to, you know, again the logic behind it. I mean, on the surface, it looks like we're going for high fantasy. We're going for the five E kind of flavor. Um, you know, that high power wizards casting spells left, right, and center. Is that the right kind of way of viewing it? You know, I think so. I, I, <clears throat> there are a lot of equivalencies that people can draw. Um, there are a lot of things that people can draw. And, um, I, I've heard it said that, like, you know, you want to say, that like, a, like a 250-point Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game character, you want to think, like, between 6th and 10th level of D&D. &D. So th these guys are able. Yeah. Um, and... 
there's two ways to think about that. And I think the decision that Sean made is kind of a, I don't know if you read uh, Dungeon Fantastic, Peter Del Orto's blog, uh, but he yep. has a, a, a saying um, that he took from a fitness trainer uh, name of uh, Wensler. Um, right. And basically what the guy basically said is when you're working out, you know, lifting weights or doing whatever, you need to think, is what you're doing awesome? If you're not doing something awesome, flipping a tire over, picking, you know, putting on a set of chain mail and carrying a rock up a hill, uh, right? If you're not, if what you're doing, you know, pulling on a chain or climbing hand over hand up a rope or whatever, if what you're doing is not yeah. awesome, stop doing it and do something else. And Peter has embraced that very much in his role-playing game design and theory and as he plays through Dungeon Fantasy style games. Um, if what you're doing is not awesome, why are you doing it? You're in there to play for escapism, for heroism, for whatever, whatever, if you're sitting down to this particular flavor of game. There are other flavors yeah. of game that are more gritty. This particular flavor is high fantasy, Legolas and Aragorn and Boromir and Ra, right? Yay, whatever. And so in order to do that, you need to be able to consistently absorb the penalties that GURPS suggests for being awesome. I want to attack twice. Well, that's minus six to each attack. Okay. I want to stab somebody in the eye. Well, that's minus eight or minus 10. So if you're going to be playing that kind of game, you need to have a starting point level that will allow you to not be frustrated in being awesome. Now, on the flip side, um, <clears throat> what it can what it can do, and I've seen this myself, uh, what it can do is play a little bit of havoc with the GURPS one second points, uh, a one second round length. In that, with that many points, you start to be able to do things within your one second turn that start to strain not just credulity because you're you're playing you know a, a tabletop emulation of some video games you can get a lot done in the world of warcraft with one button click and that's kind of what yeah. it, it emulates in some ways the problem with that is the other four or five people at the table get bored right as you're doing nine things on your turn because you're just that cool. When their turn comes around, they get to do their nine things, but then the other people are also, you know, and, and GURPS, in my opinion, GURPS is at its best when, like, you know, at, at FNORDCon last, uh, in Austin, I was there and I was running some games, and I had 13 people at my table. Because if someone showed up to play my game, I wasn't going to tell them no, uh, because I was kind of the only one of the only role playing things going on at that particular convention. Next year, there's going to be a whole room dedicated to role playing. So, mm. yay, that's <clears throat> upgraded, um, and I'll be there too. Uh, but in any case, the only way that you can play a game with twelve people around the table is what do you do? Good. 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 You want it to go bip 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 so that everyone is getting to say something every minute or every couple of minutes or so yeah. and to interact every couple of minutes or so. And in order to do that, the amount of things you can bring to the table 
in that one second needs to be constrained. And, and that's where the lower point totals shine because you're automatically constrained because in order to do something super awesome, you have to all out attack or aim or prepare or limit what you're trying to do. And, and that lets things go a little faster. Yeah, I love all that. I mean, my Friday night game, we've had two sessions with GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. Um, and by the way, the reason I chose GURPS Dungeon Fantasy is so that I can bring in the science fiction and other things that I want to put into my, what is really a science fantasy setting, but don't tell my players. Um, right. But, you know, the the thing about it was the, we were sitting doing a combat with, I think there were like uh, some goblins ambushing um, my, my party of three, you know. Um, and you're right, you know, with a 125-point character and a, a handful of goblins, um, you know we're talking three or four goblins that fight was over in about three or four seconds of game time you know three four rounds um yep, and yep. it took less than 10 minutes um now i've played games you know with fifth edition D D, where that six second rounds it's going three or four rounds in that kind of fight but it's taking me 20 minutes or half an hour and what i really liked and thought sean about gurps was you know you're doing one thing you've got one second and it took a bit for my players to get used to that. I think even one of my players is still struggling with, I've only got one second, it takes forever to do anything. Um, but actually, you know, the game zinged around. They're going around the table. I am going, what are you doing? You're doing that, wreck your roll. Cool, what are you doing? Make a roll, you know. What are you doing? Oh, okay, right. do that, make a roll. Uh, and I, I'm rolling my defense and you roll your damage and that's it, bam, 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 you know. Yep. And you're right, yep. that's where GURPS really can shine. Right, and, and when you... When you do that, the pace of the game becomes one that is more sane, mm. um, and 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 it allows actually it allows people to do more because there's limited opportunity for the knight with three or four attacks to just whirlwind through everybody, and the guy at the end never gets to go. Yeah. Right. I draw my sword. Good. Oh, I ready my spell. Good. Okay. I uh, uh, I hide in shadows so that I can backstab that guy. Good. Okay. Back to the knight. I attack. Okay. Good. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. You heard him. Okay. Now we're casting the spell. Let's roll some dice. And what are you? Oh, I'm still moving around. Okay. Good. Boom. 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 And you go through, and a few seconds later, your 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 uh, combat is resolved. Um, and you know, and, and that's that's not too for the only thing that. The GURPS timescale and system does that requires adjustment um, or some thought is the one thing that doesn't ever happen, that rarely happens in a GURPS fight, is the hang back and watch. Yeah. There, there's no, there's an evaluate maneuver, but it, nobody ever uses it because it's not good enough um, for, for missing a turn. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the hang back and watch or the circle carefully that you see in real world stuff uh, doesn't happen much. And that requires uh, some adjustment because um, what it does is it freezes everybody in place. Starts Combat starts and wherever somebody is, unless they're within four or five yards of, of something useful, they can spend. This happened to me once. I had a guy who was like super encumbered and he had moved two or three. And so, you know, when move two or three is four to six miles an hour, it's a solid trot. Um, on a per second basis, yeah. <clears throat> and and but I was a little bit. This is when I was new to the high point games, and all of the other players had taken 
packages and points and spells and whatever that allowed them to move six to 10. Some of them could fly. <laughs> right. Um, and stuff. And so I was like, Oh, sort out. And by the time I actually got to the fight, it was over. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that you have to watch out for. Um, fortunately in a dungeon delve, everyone usually starts clumped together in unrealistically small rooms. Uh, and so it's less problematic. Um, but that is the one thing you sort of have to watch for is on the one one second time scale, um, with nobody ever pausing to say what's going on and taking a moment to orient themselves or whatever, like happens in, even in dynamic room clearing and like, you know, SWAT guys going around, um, the room, you know, that's, uh, uh, an activity that is really at its core, what dungeon fantasy role-playing game players are doing. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's not the careful kind of what's going on. It's I burst through the door. I throw a flashbang in the form of some kind of spell uh, and we file through the door and kill everything there. And you want it to be over before it begins. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> the, the SWAT type or dynamic entry breaching tactics that are used in modern room clearing and urban combat are, have far more in common with a GURPS Dungeon Fantasy role playing game fight than one would think on first uh, approaching it. Yeah, I had a weird... I mean, talking about this thing about, um, you know, sometimes the player doesn't get involved. Um, on Friday night, we just had a, a, a... I told you about the goblins. Well, two of the guys... Well, basically, there was a watch. Uh, they got ambushed. And one of the guys, obviously the watch guy, uh, he, for whatever... I can't remember exactly how and why, but he was able to act pretty quickly. And the other two were asleep. So we did some health rolls to wake him up. And then the fighter... You know, he did this thing where he had to sort of get up and he decided he's going to stick his armor back on. I mean, for whatever reason, he'd taken his... his oh, know, my God. Yeah. So um, I just kind of I kind of said, oh, we'll just... I don't know how many seconds that was going to take. I wasn't going to look it up. So we rolled D6. I think it was five seconds it was going to take him to put this thing on. And we had this moment. Right. It was actually highly entertaining and highly amusing because we're going around the table and every time I get to him, I'm going, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just getting my armor through now. You know, and, and we had the situation right. where goblin arrows are bouncing off him you know, because he's half, he's right. half armored. Um, and he's got, and by the time he gets to the battle, you know, it's kind of over. Um, well, I have to say that situation um, narratively would never have happened. I don't think in a five E game, you know, I, I can't imagine any player, um, you know, being in that situation and kind of having that happen. Now, I suppose if that happens once and it's happened, you know, to us on a, on a night, that's fine. Um, and, and it was amusing, but I guess, yeah, that, yeah, it's one of the things I'm going to have to watch out for. Right. <laughs> it, it is and, and, and you know and i don't know if uh um have you ever had the experience of putting on armor i haven't well i kind of have i mean years ago i, I used to do reenactment like viking and saxon reenactment and i know oh. so i know how i know how tough it is to sort of get your ring mail over your head let's put it that way right yeah exactly right and that's exactly so I'm, I'm the same boat right for for the last couple of years i've been doing uh uh viking style not reenactment it's it's more uh, Roland Warzeka's dueling buckler yeah. you know, with Viking shields type stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it's fun to argue about, you know, which is better or which is whatever. But yeah. to, 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 to shimmy onto a, a chain mail, to a male shirt, even even without Gambison, uh, takes time. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and the funny thing is, is it's a skill. It's a skill, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> if you give a, a male shirt to somebody who's never put one on before, uh, you get to watch very amused as, as they wriggle into it and the mail gets rolled up and then they're trapped in their own armor. <laughs> um, I actually saw that happen. There was a guy who was kind of stout putting on a male shirt and it rolled up and then he made a sort of a fatal mistake about trying to 
to do it. And he basically trapped himself in a Chinese finger cup. <laughs> he could not get out, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, and, and he was just like, you know, what do I do? And we sort of work with him and then he, we finally get him out. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to take the tattered remains of my dignity and go over and get some mead. <laughs> uh, because it was, it was highly amusing. The other was, uh, his, his girlfriend tried on the shirt and was trying to get out of it. And she's like, Oh, I need help. I'm like, I don't think that shirt is in a place where I can help you and not get divorced. <laughs> so your boyfriend is going to move and we'll coach him through helping you because it was hung up under her, uh, parts. And, and yeah, I was like, yeah, there's places that I'm not supposed to go. I'm a married <laughs> man. Um, but, but the, the point of, of that, hopefully amusing anecdote is that something like getting armor on can take a better part of a minute or 10, yeah, absolutely. right? If you're getting into plate harness, it's going to take a long freaking time because you've got to tie every one of those things on. Uh, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, it, it depends on the kind of game you want to play, right? If you want to have them spin around like Diana, uh, uh, like Linda Carter in Wonder Woman. And at the end of a few seconds, Ooh, look, plate harness. Um, that's fine. You just have to embrace that. But if the other the other side of it is like, oh, I'm going to put my armor on. The fight will be over and or you will be dead by the time you get it on there. You're talking about minutes. Yep. Grab your sword and react. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. A guy, you know, he's like, I want to put my top on. I'm like, really? And, and of course, just for the sake of his sanity, I made that short. You know, I thought I'll just roll these. Absolutely. Right. And, and that's exactly the kind of call that you want to make in a convention game because mm. you want everyone to have fun. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to stop the game and explain that actually getting armor on take, can take, you know, anywhere between 10 seconds and 10 minutes, Absolutely. depending on the armor and oh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is a, this is, this is a role-playing game where you want to kill goblins, not a history lesson. Yeah. Um, but that is the kind of thing where uh, expectations must be set. And, and most of the time, honestly, most of the time where role-playing games in general fall down is expectations management. Yeah. I find that with GURPS as well. I mean, I feel, I guess I have an empathy with it and I feel an affinity with it because I've, as I, as I mentioned, you know, having done some reenactment back when I was a teenager, late teens, mid to late teens, um, you know, I stood on the, I stood on the, um, at Malden on the mud flats in Essex, um, you know, where uh, very famously a Saxon king defended, you know, the, the um there's a kind of like a ridge there you know from yeah. from incoming viking raiders coming in from the sea and up onto the beach you know well, i say beach but mud um you know and i stood there with my round shield and my spear you know in phalanx or in a line you know essentially and um and i know what it feels like to trudge through mud in our you know a chain top right. with a shield and all that so for me there's a great affinity when when someone says you know well you, you know you're gonna move two yards or something, you know, in a second um, because you're wearing this extra armor instead of the six that you might have if you were running around pretty much nude. You know, I get that. I'm not sure that every player at the table does. And I think, you know, as you said, like through computer games, through pop culture and cinema, and also through kind of the way a lot of games are, um, actually the player expectation is very different. It, it is. And, and, you know, it's funny. Um, some of that is is just the scale that you play on. Like, you know, your classic D&D 30 foot move is because it's over six seconds, right? It, it, it's basically everyone's given a move of 10 in verse, yeah. 10 yards, but the time scale, because it's six seconds, if you, if you figure out what that is, it's a walk. It's slow. Yeah. It's entirely reasonable. In fact, in order to get to 
Usain Bolt, right, the fastest man on earth, um, he can run at 28 miles an hour in his, at his best. And, and that winds up being about eight times your move yeah. in D&D. It's about 320 feet per turn. And so, you know, the D&D basic move is actually pretty slow. It, it, it's a move of one or two. I think it's like 1.6. Uh, but it, it, it's a move of between one and two. It's a step. Yeah. Right? It's a GURPS step. And, and that feels like forever in GURPS because you're doing it at one second time intervals, you know? And, and it's kind of rare for a party to say, okay, ready, step, step, <laughs> step, right? And, and to kind of make a deliberate advance. Now, Sean has designed the game. So if you don't do that, you can get brutally punished by people running around your wall and, and surrounding you. And, and GURPS is entirely unforgiving of being surrounded, as is life. Um, and, and so, uh, uh, you, know, get, you know, if you get attacked from the back, you get no defense. If you get attacked from the side, it's a minus two, and you can't block. You can't use your shield on the, the side that you're not uh, uh, holding the shield, right? Yeah. So there are rules that basically say if you get surrounded with people get behind you, you are deeply, sorely, horribly boned. Um, and so it, it plays well to engage in team tactics in that situation. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and, that, and that's, that's the other nice thing is, is that, you know, the, the, the rules of, of the, the way that GURPS, the GURPS engine works is if you can picture something happening in your head physically really grounded in, in, in either reality or enhanced reality, uh, that's probably about how it's going to go down. Yeah. Brilliant. It's great to talk. Um, I wanted to ask just a little of, towards the end of our time i guess but how do you recommend introducing new players to gurps because i'm i'm basically well, doing this with a bunch of, I, I mean I'm, I'm playing with my guys here but actually i also you know, run a club at school for 11 to 15 year old kids you know wanting to get into role playing and people go you're playing gurps with them um you know right. how do you introduce them so first thing uh pre-generated characters yep um you know and, and what I did for Hall of Judgment when I run that at conventions, um, I have uh, all 16 pre-gen characters that are in the back of that book laminated uh, in, in, in acetate. Uh, and I say, choose among these. Actually, there's one that I hold back because uh, it's not really setting appropriate. Um, but, uh, but of the 15, I'm like, pick. Pick from these. Yeah. Um, so pre-generated characters cut through a lot of the decision cycle that takes up time getting things started. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two is uh, start with limited goals and quests and, and not necessarily um, uh, uh, railroading per se, but you know having something where you have a very simple job you know, go get the sword of Kefalter Thurfurfur uh, out of the barrow located 10 miles away or whatever, yeah. right? Um, well, and, and so you go to this place and there's a short journey and maybe you get waylaid by bandits or goblins or whatever and then you get a little fight or, you know, and, and you ramp, you know, first thing you do is you enter. And this is what I actually did in my Citadel at Nordvorn convention adventure uh, at Nordcon. I had them, I had the, you know, first everyone you know, grabbed a pre-gen and I said, okay, you're sailing up the river 
and people are, you know, row, you got rowers and they're rowing and you're sailing up the river. Uh, and I describe the city uh, and how busy the, <clears throat> the river is. And, oh, it looks like some, you know, some of the boats are getting a little close to you. And, oh, my goodness, grappling hooks. And, and you know, they try and raid, right? Because it's Viking to get mm -hmm. a raid. Uh, so it's ship-to-ship combat in a constrained area. And it was purposefully designed where the bad guys were a little underwhelming. Yeah. And so the players got to try out combat and they made really short work of them. And when the ship pulled into port, they're all worried that having done violence to these guys, uh, that they were going to get in, uh, in trouble. And I have the captain of the ship jump out and say what heroes there were. And clearly they are blessed in the eyes of Odin and yay. And they're going to Valhalla and these guys are so amazing. And he told her ridiculously and short because, you know, I didn't want to take up too much of the player's time, but a short, obviously embellished retelling of, of the fight that basically told these guys what kind of world they're living yeah. in. Right. This is a place where if someone comes up to you and gives you a shove and you shove him back and you fight, both of you guys are heroes. The guy is a hero for starting the fight and you're the hero for winning the fight. And that's OK. It's that kind of place. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of you have these moments, these like almost strobe light moments that illuminate the world that you're in for your players. But using a simple set of challenges and then you ramp things up as you go. Um, the, the Citadel at Nordvorn was a setting with a big web of interacting things going on. Yeah. So I warned these guys, things are happening and you get to see what they are and you throw tidbits and breadcrumbs and you follow what the players are doing. That's a more complicated way to do it because there's a lot of choice. And then all of a sudden the 12 players split up into four groups and you're dealing with <laughs> four groups of three. Um, <laughs> But, you know, with, hey, I need you guys to do this thing, escort, actually caravan escort is a great way to, to introduce a game like that. You're going from place to place. You have something to protect. You have a route that is known. So all of the things that you would call a railroad are really like a roller coaster. Yeah. Right. You get on a roller coaster, you know exactly where you're starting, you know exactly where you're going to end up, and you're in it for the thrill along the way. Uh, as an introduction to role playing, the roller coaster model via a caravan thing, or you know, I'm getting out, is is a good introduction. And then you broaden it out as as they get more experience, more comfortable with their characters, and they know what they can do. Um, but especially in GURPS, you know, if they're used to games where you have a health bar and it slowly whittles down as you click your left mouse and, oh, I smack him, 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 I smack him. Uh, <laughs> right? If that's the kind of thing that they're used to and they're not used to, oh, I attack, oh, he defends, he attacks you, I fail to defend, he hits you for seven points of damage, you're unconscious or you're, you're crippled or, or you're, you're debilitated or, or you're stunned or whatever if they're not used to that kind of oh by the way if someone shoves a sword in your gut you're not gonna like it so much <laughs> um then then that can be jarring and so you want the first couple you want the people dropping in one shot to be the other guys for the first couple of missions because you want them to get a feel for the decisiveness of a successful hit yeah and better them than the players 
No, absolutely. For the first couple of adventures, right? So or at least the first fight. Um, and, and then you just remind them that, oh, by the way, these guys were crazy bandits and they were all out attacking all the time. And so they weren't bothering to defend. And that's why you were just laying waste to them. You guys are trained fighters. You're 150, 200, 250 points. So you guys do get to defend. By the way, exactly what happens to them if a blow hits you and you hits where you're not armored or gets through your armor or it's more powerful than your armor, same result is going to happen. So, you know, like a, like the uh, the Marines would used to say, I don't, they're probably not allowed to say it anymore, but when back in the 60s and 70s, they would say ambushes are murder and murder is fun. Yeah. Right. That was, you'd never, you know, there's no such thing as a fair fight. And, and that's the kind of combat that uh, games that are highly lethal encourages. Yeah. Um, teamwork, massive, uh, overwhelming force. Uh, and, and, you know, you're not sitting there to trade blows like Inigo and Wesley and, and Princess Bride. Uh, that's all fun and all, but better to throw dirt in your face and stab them um, because otherwise you could die. And, you know, like we used to, like we, <laughs> whenever I would teach the Viking style of combat that I was learning and teaching. Um, I'd be like, don't forget the Vikings were raiders. And the whole point of a raid is to get loot. If you get killed or you get killed while you're killing the other guy and you're both dead, you become the loot. And that is suboptimal. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's not the point. The point is to get the other guy so you can take his stuff. And as long as you kill the other guy in honorable combat, then Odin smiles and you're welcome in Valhalla and Thor ho hoists a beer in, in, on your behalf in Yeti. Um, and, and that's, uh, what do you drink? Not tea. Um, so it, it, that's the kind of thing that you want to get them used to that kind of sudden shock action. Uh, but beyond that, you know, um, that's what I would do. I would, to introduce kids to it, I would make sure that you don't have huge groups where they can get distracted. Uh, the, the initial tasks are very focused. Yeah. Um, and the, actually the other thing that I tend to, depending on the, the setting that you're in, um, and that's actually an entirely different thing. This is assuming you want to play in a fantasy game. One thing that's actually kind of interesting and fun, uh, especially for people who live in a cell phone world and may not understand what life a thousand years ago, and frankly, even people who study it, I think are surprised all the time at what life was like and what people could do with wood and metal or couldn't do with wood and metal. And, um, you know, oh, it was an all one big slog. Well, there are 60 to 80 feast and festival days a year. So once a week, you're getting down to party with the rest of your town. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, you only work when it's light because you can't flip a switch. So, so what you can do in, in the situation is constrained. And so it, anyway, it's really kind of interesting to, to have that. But unless you're doing it as part of a history lesson, one thing that you can do is say you're cops or you're a SWAT team or you're fighting terrorists or, you know, you're, you're a mercenary unit or something where people can get it mm -hmm. because they, they, it's the world that they live in. And so now you're just, that, that's one way to go. The only problem with that is that guns are so super lethal uh, in, 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 well, in reality too, but the way that the GURPS turn schedule and I want to do this and I'm going to do this and whatever, uh, it, it doesn't encourage the kind of fighting that you do when you're exchanging bullets, um, which is hide behind something um, <laughs> and, and, and only take careful shots. Um, the, the other time, kind of thing tends to get you killed and, and that can be frustrating for, for people. So, you know, it, it's on the one hand, you have a, a a world that is more like the one that you're in, 
but you get to taste that. And the other is, is more of a fantasy world. But unless you have a good knowledge or a good setup that lets people understand the history and the world, uh, you can get some anachronisms yeah. that, uh, that, that creep in that, that can require coming back around to it, that require expectations management. I remember one game where someone was playing a cleric, a priest, and he came up to a fairly a mid-ranking noble, but he's still a noble. So he's super rich um, and powerful, and he was in control of the forces of the guard or whatever. And the cleric starts to proselytize. The guy's like, a, he's like a, a paladin or a fighter, and he's got the holy symbol for tear. Right. Um, uh, on his chest. So he was he was a guy who was a he's a wall warden, maybe it's Heimdall or whatever. But he was a wall warden. He had his beliefs, and the priest <coughs> starts proselytizing to him and trying to convert him to the god of the sun. And I'm like, you need to stop. That's not how this works in a polytheistic culture. No. Right? You don't do that. It's not, oh, you know, my God is the one true God. It's, it's you know, it, it's like, you know, actually the, the best way to do that is is the line in Avengers. You know, uh, he's crazy as a bag of cats. Uh, he's from Asgard and he's my brother. Yeah. He killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted. Right. So <laughs> it's that, yeah, you know, you know, the first thing that I'm going to do as a brother God of this polytheist pantheon is I'm going to defend my family. Hey, okay, yeah, Loki is Loki, and yeah, he's that guy that you try not to invite to the family gatherings because he's tied to an underground thing with poison dripping in his eyes, and that makes it less fun. But, <laughs> but you know, he's family, and so, you know, only family gets to insult family, and so it was that kind of thing, and that's the, when you have someone who decides to play street preacher mm. in a game that doesn't support street preacher, the game stops. And so that's the setting part of introducing people to thing where expectations have to be set. Yeah. Right. So to round it off then, I guess we better sort of summarize why we think GURPS is great. What you've said, if I understand it, is GURPS allows you to play anything. Um, so that's the first and most important thing. And then we're going to use the process of subtraction, really, to sort of define the thing we're going to do with GURPS. And if you want a quick shortcut to that in terms of a fantasy game that uses dungeons, then you just go and do dungeon fantasy RPG, right? That, that's that's a great summary. And if you want to do uh, The Walking Dead, you go for after the end. Uh, you know, if you want to do uh, uh, Dresden Files, you do Monster Hunters. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and it's once you get the rules, you don't need to. If you want to do uh, Die Hard, you pull the action sub treatment, right? Um, so if you if all of that stuff is is sort of helps you out and those those genre treatments are are, are really an excellent evolution in in GURPS. I wish I wish there were more of them. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe I get to one write one one day too. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> that, that's not a product release. That's just wishful thinking. Absolutely, Doug. Thanks so very much for your time. I really really appreciate it. It's been great. No, I, it's always great to come on and talk to you. Thanks very much. Um, all the best. Game on.
I guess that's about it for this episode. Wanted to say a big thank you for taking the time to listen to it. And obviously a massive thank you to Douglas H. Cole for taking the time to come and talk to me about GURPS, which is fabulous. Yes, a meandering chat, but I think you'll agree, lots and lots of interesting stuff there. Massive thank you, first of all, to our first-time caller, Shannon, calling in. Thank you, mate. Really great to hear from you, and I hope that you continue to listen to the show. And also, once again, to the fabulous Spencer from Keep Off the Borderlands for that fantastic and highly amusing testimonial, plus a lovely call-in. Thanks, mate. Really do appreciate it. I do have more call-ins that have come in over the last week, but I'm going to hold them back for another episode, so please bear with me. Thank you, as always, to the amazing, amazing patrons who support this show through the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash RPG Rescue. And big thank you to you, the listener. Thanks for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you again soon. Game on.